welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is sponsored by Four Sigmatic. You've heard me talk about Four Sigmatic before because I love their coffees, teas, and hot chocolates. Now you can get 15% off any order with the code WellnessMama. But these are not ordinary drinks. They're delicious combinations of coffee, cocoa, and adaptogenic herbs, now with the benefits of chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane for an extra brain boost and clean energy. My longtime favorite is their instant coffee with the benefits of these mushrooms, but lately I've also really been enjoying their caffeine-free blends. Try out all of these delicious drinks at foursigmatic.com forward slash wellnessmama. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash wellnessmama. And make sure to use the code wellnessmama to get 15% off your order. This podcast is also brought to you by ButcherBox. And if you haven't heard of them, they're a great company that ships really high quality meats to your door. They carry 100% grass-fed beef, organic and pastured chicken, and heritage breed pork, and they deliver it directly to your door. All of their products are humanely raised and free of antibiotics and hormones. And as a Wellness Mama listener, you can get $15 off plus free bacon in your first box. Go to butcherbox.com forward slash wellness mama and use the promo code, all capital letters, healthy moms. Hi, and welcome to the Healthy Moms Podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and I am so excited to be here today with Anne Margolis, who is extremely, extremely decorated in the birth world. She is a licensed certified nurse midwife, an OBGYN nurse practitioner. Um, she has a variety of other certifications beyond that, but what's really cool is she's the third generation of her family to help bring babies into the world, and she has personally ushered in over a thousand healthy babies, which is incredible, and her work and insights have been on TV shows including a baby story on TLC and the Discovery Channel and the award-winning feature documentary Orgasmic Birth, which I've talked about before. And we're here today to really delve into separating the fact from the myth when it comes to birth and what is actually safe and what do women need, especially in birth. So Anne, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited for our conversation today. Uh, Me too. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. It's an honor. And I want to jump right in because in the online world, and I'm sure you see it too, but I often see it said online that moms should just be grateful if they have a healthy baby because, quote, a healthy baby is all that matters. And as a doula, I've seen a lot of moms and I see how deeply birth affects them. So personally, I think obviously a healthy baby is, of course, super important part of birth, of course, but I don't think it's the only thing that matters. And from what I've read of you, you have an incredible story that kind of speaks to this. So can you kind of take us through your story of of all of your births and speak to this through your own experience? I can. And like, when you said that, you know, it just makes me cringe, you know, that like, like, just get over it, you know, a healthy baby is all that matters. And, And that undermines completely the huge impact birth has on the mind, body, heart, and soul of a woman and her family and the baby. So, um, in terms of my story, um, you want me to go back in, into my first birth you're talking about? Yeah, I would love to hear. Cause I know you had kind of a difference in, in birth experiences that really like brought this point home for you. Oh yeah. Well, um, so I was in, I knew I wanted to, uh, when I was in nursing school, I knew I wanted to go into obstetrics, um, when I did my rotation and I just was very excited. And in nursing school, you know, we talked all about, uh, how birth is beautiful and natural birth and, and, you know, but, um, my first job graduating, um, nursing school, working as an obstetric nurse, I had to do a year of med surg first medical surgical nursing, but my first job was nothing like what I learned. 
Um, and it was, it, I got really scared of birth and I felt like as a nurse, I was kind of rescuing a lot of the problems caused by interventions that were done to women. I did not see natural birth. I was a, a nurse at, um, assisting more cesareans than I felt comfortable with. I it just, um, uh, the only time really there was a natural birth was when a woman was giving birth in the car on the way to the hospital. But even then, like the baby was put in the intensive care unit. And, you know, so birth, um, as in my experience back then, was a fear, uh, was fear-based. It was a lawsuit prevention, sort of, you know, like like a disaster waiting to happen. You know, it, it, it came true, like what the media hype was about in terms of, you know, like ER. It was a, like, a, it was a crisis. There was always a crisis. And I saw some of the worst um, outcomes. You know, I, I saw mommies and babies die or damaged uh, from, and, and, and so I started to, you know, really, it, uh, I was, I was taking it to heart, you know, it was, it was, but um, I, I was afraid to have my own baby. And I, but my hands were tied as a nurse, you know, like I, I had to kind of follow the orders of the obstetricians and, you know, do these interventions to healthy women that were just coming in to have a baby. Right. So um, I got pregnant and I was young. I, I was just short of 24. And um, I was I was on the unit. I, you know, I, I chose a doctor who I trusted. Um, I did not know of a midwife or a doula at that time. There was no Internet. And um, I was giving birth on the unit where I worked. So I was given the royal treatment by the doctors and by the staff, by the nurses. But what happened was, is my entire pregnancy, um, I just kept seeing um, a lot of, you know, what I was telling you, you know, uh, a lot of crises, a lot of emergencies. There was, there was, there was, um, I was afraid. And fear is like kind of the enemy of labor. Uh, it's, it really, you know, inner fear is, is you know, really harms us on, on many levels, you know, in terms of our health in general. But anyway, but what happened was, so I was given the royal treatment in terms of treated well, at, you know, oh, a nurse on our unit is having a baby and is having a baby. But, but when I got to the hospital, you know, I, I was given all the pretty much the standard routine interventions, which at the time I did not realize how harmful they were. So, you know, just just being told to put on a hospital gown, you know, then uh, take off my clothes, put on a hospital gown. Now I know as a midwife, you know, that disempowers you, you know, that makes you feel sick. And so I was like, you know, OK, the hospitals know what they're doing. The doctors know what I'm doing. I have no my I, I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm scared. And then I was told I couldn't eat or drink and I was attached to an IV. And it's like kind of running the marathon, 26 mile marathon and not being able to eat and drink. So then I didn't have the energy that I needed and the fluids that I needed. And then I was tied to a monitor on a bed, you know, so they can track every single heartbeat. And everybody's looking at the monitor, not looking at me. And, you know, just being told to be put on the, you know, flat on your back and you can't move because they could ha they had to keep the heart rate tracing. How can someone labor like that? You take any animal in the wild and put them in those situations and their their labor is going to stop. So um, even even forget the mind body relationship, you know, um, which they're intricately connected. But but even just, you know, think of gravity like we need gravity um, for the baby to come down. And, and when a woman is lying on her bed, the pelvis, which is which on her back, which is uh, three bones connected uh, by ligaments, when the woman is on her back, the pelvis is a smaller diameter. 
So, so it was no surprise that the doctor kept coming in uh, frequently and kept walking out saying to the nurse, my colleague, she's still four. She's still four. She's still four centimeters dilated. And then at one point, you know, they, you know, you have to dilate a centimeter an hour. So I heard him say to my colleague, which was my nurse, who was my nurse, hang pit. Now, as a nurse, I know what that means, hang pitocin. She comes in and starts putting medication into my IV. And I'm like, well, oh, oh, no, I don't, I don't want pitocin. And then she says, oh, but honey, you don't want a cesarean. And she was right. Like, that was my biggest fear. You know, I'm a dancer. I'm very athletic. And I did not, uh, some of the, you know, more traumatic bursts that I saw were during surgery. And, you know, I was scared. No, I don't want a cesarean, you know. So once the, the Pitocin went in, at that, until that point, I was, you know, using Lamaze. That was really helping me kind of cope. And but once the Pitocin made everything stronger, more, more, more frequent, more intense, my Lamaze went out the window and I wasn't able to cope lying in bed attached, you know, uh, with these stronger, harder uh, labor sensations, contractions. And uh, so, so then the epidural came and that's uh, when they, you know, they put they gave me an epidural and my baby's heart rate went down to very dangerous levels. And um, uh, what we call in medical terms, you know, terminal bradycardia or, or just like prolonged bradycardia, which is really severe, low heart rate. And they called an emergency cesarean. So here I was, you know, my biggest fear. And I'm the one on the gurney now, you know, stretcher. And, and they're wheeling me into the OR. And it's this whole crisis scene. Panic. You know, I'm seeing fear and panic on everybody's face. And of course, you know, I'm starting to feel that. Um, I, I was put in the operating room and prepped um, for the surgery, and and then everybody left. They didn't allow my husband in, and so I'm lying there in utter, you know, terror that not only am I going to have, you know, my, something's the matter with my baby, but but it got worse because it took an hour. It, it, like I was, I looked at the clock, an hour. Nobody was monitoring me, and this emergency stat cesarean was not happening. They were waiting for the assistant surgeon, and at that, and you know, miraculously, the the epidural in that uh, after an hour uh, caused me to fully open, and I started pushing. And then I I called out for help, and then and then it was this crisis again in the operating room. You know, the doctor's like, uh, "Get me a vacuum," and and he cuts this huge episiotomy, and and he vacuums her out. Well, I did not want to see her because I thought she was dead by now. You know, we passed the damage, you know, I, like like an hour of a heart rate like that. I, you know, as a nurse, I know what happens. So, so I didn't want to see her. So, so, but the baby was totally like fine in terms of when you say you had a healthy baby, her, she had a normal, she, you know, she needed nothing at birth. She was totally vigorous and crying. She had a good heartbeat. She was breathing. She was pink. You know, I'm sure babies, you know, I know now there's a lot of research that come, that's out about babies feel trauma. They have nonverbal memories, but, you know, even dating before the birth into, you know, in the pregnancy. But I was not fine. And so now I know what that was, which is birth trauma. But I didn't know that, you know, I, I just was not fine. Like I did not. I, I was petrified of that whole experience. And it, I really felt like traumatized by it. So that was baby number one. And I swore to my husband, I am never having another baby. And he wanted six. <laughs> so I don't know how that was going to work out, but I was really determined I was done. And, you know, like it was really hard then to work on the unit, um, given my experience. 
And, you know, I, I found it, you know, I was having nightmares and, and, and certain, um, uh, it was hard for me to talk about birth. It was hard for me to, to even think about my, like people would ask me about my birth and I was just, you know, oh, well, you have a healthy baby. Well, you know, it, it, it was probably the most scariest traumatic experience, you know, I had as an adult. And, and so then, um, I was, I got, we had an unplanned pregnancy. My baby was uh, now, my toddler was about two and a few months. And then, you know, I was just even more scared and I was still working as a nurse, but, um, I had that fear kind of the whole pregnancy. And I was, I, I didn't really have a lot of resources, uh, to help me with this. And I, and I remember going in, um, when I was in labor with, with her, Now this is baby two, that I, uh, I was seeing his partner now, his, his partner, doctor, he stuck his hand up me, walks out the room. This is when I was in labor, told the nurse, prepare the operating room. The baby is high and too high and posterior, never is going to come down. Now, as a midwife, I know, of course, that baby can come down. Let's get you up on your hands and knees. There's all kinds of things. You know, I've seen plenty of high babies come down, you know, but but also talk to the mom. You know, he didn't talk to me. He told he talked to the nurse. So but I had a little more I was I felt a little more confident in myself at this point. And I, I called him back and I said, I have given birth before. I don't care what you need to do, but I'm not having a cesarean. Like, put your hands in there and turn the baby. And he said, well, that's going to be agony. I said, I really don't care. I don't want to have an, I don't want to give, I have a cesarean birth. And so he did that, you know, he, he stuck his hand inside and, and turned the baby manually, which was, was very painful, but I gave birth vaginally. So I was talking to a, a, a friend of mine, uh, may, you know, maybe she was a couple years uh, old and um, about my frustrations, not just with my birth, you know, no one wanted to hear me talk about like my traumatic birth because you had a healthy baby. Right. But, you know, it, I was having lingering effects of what I now know to be as birth trauma, like I said. So I was talking to a friend about my frustrations, about how I feel like I'm rescuing a lot of the problems caused by interventions. I'm not I'm seeing too many cesarean births. I'm not seeing normal birth. Uh, my hands are tied. I have to do the doctor what the doctor orders. And, you know, she's like, well, why don't you be a midwife? And I'm like, what's a midwife? I literally had no clue. I had not heard of a midwife. And, and she says, well, she's in school to be a midwife and I would love it. So I went to the library. I took every book out I could read about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I need to do. So I applied to midwifery school and I literally felt like I came home. I came home. You know, it was, it was, it was the most amazing, um, feeling to be part of a movement of a profession that sees birth as normal and beautiful and kind of restores the humanity and celebration to the process of giving birth. And I was seeing, instead of you know women really um, traumatized or upset by their birth, they loved their birth and they were having beautiful experiences and, and the families were involved. And I was seeing women give birth in all positions and it was, and, and, and the, the, the more traumatic or, or you know, intervent of highly medicalized situations and, and operations, cesarean was more the exception, you know, the rare exception. So, you know, I was really, it was really amazing to like have a completely like I guess about face or 180 degree turnaround. So 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 then I started you know like I believed in the midwifery model of care. Um, I thought it was amazing that you know that the the philosophy of a, of a, of midwives is that is that you know women can birth like they breathe. You don't have like you don't have to think about breathing. 
you're just breathing. You don't have to think about your heart beating, your heart's beating. So just as in birth, if, if we get our mind out of the way or we get our mind to support what we're doing, the, the body can birth like, like, it, like we know how to breathe. You know, of course, you know, if, if somebody has asthma or heart disease, then, then, they need, then they need medical or surgical, you know, intervention sometimes for serious complications, whether it's with the lungs, with the heart or with birth. But the vast majority of healthy women are, are normal. So birth is normal to otherwise. And and so basically my role as a midwife is is to is to preserve that space so that a woman's body like kind of get out of the way, like like kind of let the woman's body and know do what it knows how to do, which is birth and the baby knows how to be born unless not. And then we can intervene. But but it's always respectfully informed consent, like, you know, discussing it with the family. This is what we're you know, what's happening. And sometimes it's very simple interventions like, you know what? I think we need to take a walk. Yeah, it's three in the morning and it's raining outside, but I think that would be good. Let's put on a raincoat and an umbrella or let's dance. Or, you know, maybe you need some, a, a good fruit smoothie with, you know, some energy or maybe you need a rest. You know, sometimes it's very simple. Let's get in the tub. Um, but yeah, we are trained to do, um, you know, interventions, medical interventions, uh, everything pretty much except surgery. And when something's outside of our scope and it's necessary, you know, we collaborate with with obstetricians who are surgeons and and really are trained for high risk uh, complications and and illness. So so it's great, you know, when when they work together as a team. But you know, all this sounded great. But then of course, you know, my husband wanted another baby, and I was still I had that birth trauma residual, um, and I was. Uh, I, 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 I got pregnant again. Um, and I had more tools now to validate that I had birth trauma to deal with the, the trauma to heal. But I, I, I chose a midwife this time. And I said to my midwife, honestly, I said for me to like, I, I believe in the midwifery model of care. I really do. But for me to really promote it and be passionate about it, it has to work with me. And I really need to feel that it's going to work for me. And if I can do it, then, you know, anyone can do it. But I, 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 it's not in me yet. So she says, oh, my gosh, don't worry. It's going to be like such a different experience. It'll be very healing for you. And and honestly, it was the most beautiful experience of my life. You know, uh, um, she was with me the whole, you know, during during late, you know, in a pregnancy. I mean, the visits were longer. She was really hearing me with me, respectful, kind. Um, so, you know, I was totally, uh, confident in her expertise if I needed her to intervene, but she just allowed and she encouraged and she reminded me of my strength and my body's ability to do it. And, and I just had the most beautiful birth experience. And, and I, like, I remember standing up, like I was so excited. It was so healing because I'm like, now I can be a midwife. Like this works. This worked for me, and now I have not one doubt that it will work for every other woman that I help, who's health, you know, who's healthy, and 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 um, I, I then I can authentically promote it, you know. So it was healing on many levels that he uh, that 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 birth, and then I had another, my fourth baby, very similar. So I've been practicing midwifery ever since. <laughs> That's awesome. That's such a cool evolution of stories for all your births. How many years have you been a midwife? It must be at least a few, because you've got a thousand babies. Yeah, uh, 1995 is when I graduated midwifery school. That's incredible. 
That's wonderful. And the part that I, it made me think of when you were talking about the hospital environment, um, I was at a recent birth where the mom um, chose to birth in the hospital because of high blood pressure. And her husband had graduated from law school. And it was just an interesting dynamic because they were prepared for the birth that they had and it's what they wanted. Um, but the dad kept noticing things that were happening in the hospital. And he's like, see, this is giving birth according to the lawyers, not according to what you actually yep. want, because they're the ones who are actually governing the policy. And like you, I have to think like, I really do think most nurses and doctors get into what they do because they want to help people. I don't think you make it through all that school unless you want to, but their hands are tied. Like you said, that's the legal, they're just managing the legal stuff. Fear of malpractice is huge. We live in a litigious, you know, society, our culture, but it's not, it's not in other countries, you know, as much as it is here, you know, but, but like if anything goes wrong, there's a very high percentage of people suing the the doctor uh, actually more obstetricians are sued than midwives um, but it it's uh, thankfully I've never been sued but um, it's it's even if the doctor did nothing wrong there's this you know um, they they pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in malpractice insurance and you know case, cases if there's something that goes wrong if there's a baby that's you know needing long term care that needs to be paid for. You know, but but there's also like an, a look to blame sometimes, but but it is an issue. You know, um, I know I know a lot of my colleagues. You know, we have part of an our informed consent that if there's ever a dispute, that it's handled via arbitration, because it's just um, I don't want to practice out of fear of a lawsuit. That's not you know I want to practice to help women their families and help babies and do what's best interest in them, you know, and like, you know, just like this was so typical when I remember when I was a nurse, you know, so a woman would come in and she was in really hard labor. She was rocking and rolling and she was moaning and, you know, really through like, I would say transition. And the, the nurse is just looking at the chart and just like, how much weight did you gain in the pregnancy? And she was just like going through all these things that, you know, what, when was your last, you know, like all these questions and she had to chart them. And it had nothing to do with what was going on right now. She wasn't looking at the woman. The woman needed her, you know, you know, her support. But I just think that there's there's just a lot of practice to, you know, you know, that's why there, you know, we have one of the highest cesarean section rates in the world. That's why we are, you know, using this continuous electronic fetal monitoring, even though massive research has been studied that not only has it has that not improved outcome it just increases the cesarean section rate by like three to five times and it's not improved the you know any outcome for the baby but they're still doing it because if it's needed in a lawsuit we have the track of every heartbeat and and you know at least the doctor did this you know he did all he could he did a cesarean and you know it's just it's a shame you know but i can't i'm not going to practice that way that is a shame. And I had a similar experience with a friend who I was um, dueling for. She went into the hospital and I knew from her history and just from knowing her that she had pretty quick labors. Um, she'd only been in labor for an hour. She went in, they checked her. She was at a four. And um, so they're doing that same thing, asking all the questions. And she starts making all those sounds that, as you know, as a midwife and me as a doula, I'm like, she's in transition. Like when you start making, they have certain sounds that come with transition. And um, she like tells the nurse, like, I think I need to push. And the nurse is like, oh, honey, you don't need to push. You are only a four. You and and I'm like, you're telling her she doesn't need to push. And she's like, okay, but can you catch the baby? Like it was like they like really were not even paying attention to her because they were looking at her chart and in her in their mind she was still a four. And it just boggled my mind. But 
I think you're you're so right. A lot of people assume in today's world that with all the advances in technology and medicine in the U.S. and the developed world that we have the best maternity care. But is this actually true? Like, what have you seen from seeing both sides of this, both your experience and your research? Well, first of all, I want to just my my caveat. I just want to preface this by saying, um, you know, I'm very uh, into holistic integrative care. That means that using the best of all of the modalities to help somebody when 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 in need, and and whole, part of holistic care is embracing modern medicine when indeed it is life saving. You know. But but what what we're seeing in our country is we United States of America, we rank among the lowest among the bottom as compared to other developed countries around the world in terms of infant. uh, I'm sorry, newborn and and maternal mortality and morbidity. That, That means we are losing more mothers and babies or having more seriously ill mothers and babies related to the process of giving birth than most developed countries in the world. And we have the we have the high rates of birth trauma. We have extremely high rates of cesarean section. And so, what, what the countries that that actually have the best outcome? And you know, it could be Sweden, it could be Japan. A lot of the there's a lot of European countries. What they have in common, and Dr. Marsden, I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Marsden Wagner. He was interviewed on orgasmic birth, and and uh, he was the maternal. He was in, uh, a very famous neonatologist that headed the maternal child health division of the World Health Organization for many years. And I've heard him speak and he's amazing. You know, he says, what do these countries have in common that they have such high rates of good mother baby outcome? You know, they have low rates of intervention is because they have a better use of a midwife and an obstetrician working as a team. So uh, the midwife is seeing all women who are healthy. So when a healthy woman is experiencing a pregnancy, she goes to a midwife. The obstetrician is is being used for what his expertise, his or her expertise is, which is high risk, serious complications, disease, and people that need surgery. Right. So when you have the two of them working together, you have you you know you have a much better rate of mother baby outcome you know healthy mother baby outcome because when when you have sort of the philosophy of of obstetricians you know kind of looking for problems treating you know using high technology and and fancy diagnostic diagnostic testing and procedures to screen for and look for problems and treat them with with uh, you know medicine and surgery when you use that for the vast majority of, of, of people who are having healthy pregnancies and births, then you're going to have high interventions and poor outcome. But when you're but when you're 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 using midwives to to really give the kind of care that supports normal, healthy childbirth and 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 restores sort of the humanity and the celebration to the whole process and it empowers the woman and her family. And, and, and really reserving the obstetrician for, you know, yeah, when someone has insulin dependent diabetes or, you know, is expecting triplets or, or has, you know, preeclampsia, you know, high, serious high blood pressure in pregnancy. So, so then you, you have a, an amazing team. And then, and, and, and he, the, the obstetrician is focusing on the obstetrician's expertise, the midwife is focusing on their, her, her expertise, and that is best serving the population. 
a hundred percent agree. I think um, that's what is so sad to me, and at least in areas that I've seen. I'm from being in Kentucky, like we we've been trying to actually license midwives and get them legalized because they technically are practicing without any protection or a license at this point. And what we're seeing is the doctors feel threatened by the presence of midwives and there is like midwives are willing to work with the doctors and the doctors are not willing to work with the midwives. And there's certainly a perception, especially among these big medical associations that are lobbying against us, that birth is dangerous and like inherently dangerous and that we have to protect women from themselves, essentially. Um, Like actually we had a Senator say in one of the meetings, like we can't trust women to make good decisions about their own births. And I was like, I just wanted to, I almost had to leap. I was so angry, but I think that's such an important point is in the best case scenario, when we see this in countries, they're working together because they are, they both have their specialty. And I had a C-section for placenta previa and it saved my life. And I'm grateful for that. But that doesn't mean every birth after that needs to be a C-section just because the doctors in my area don't happen to want to do VBACs because then they have to be at the hospital. Like if we could have that, those two working together, like what you're saying, and we've seen this in other countries, um, I think that would go a long way towards improving a lot of these problems. But I'm curious, what, what things do you think could change? Like what can we do both as mothers and as birth professionals on both sides to try to improve these outcomes for moms in the U.S.? Well, that's why I do what I do, you know, um, and I think the change is like, like any change in history comes from passionate people who speak up, passionate and empowered pe- people who speak up. I can't change hospitals. I can't change malpractice insurance companies. I can't change nurses and doctors. You know, um, what, what I can do is empower women and their families with the information about, you know, planning a pregnancy all through pregnancy and birth and postpartum, you know, and babies, you know, all the information on how they can be empowered to make the decisions based on, you know, the pros and cons of every single, you know, um, test and procedure that is done uh, to pregnant women and, and, and birthing women and babies you know, but you have a choice, you know, and I would like to tell, make sure that women know that when you go into a hospital, uh, it is not a jail, you have a voice. And, you know, in fact, the code of, of medical ethics is, 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 you know, to honor the personal authority. So, um, you know, a family has a choice and some people, most people don't realize they have a choice. And so my, my whole thing is empowering women with the information and, and, and the confidence so that they can speak up and voice, you know, the kind of care that they want to have, or maybe switch providers and settings. You know, my, the name of my comp, my business is Sweet Home Birth, but it's not about just home birth. It's, it's that model of care in home, in the hospital, in birth centers, and even in the operating room if, 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 an, if a cesarean birth is necessary. You know, we, how can we restore humanity, compassion, and empowerment in any setting? And, and the celebration and the beauty of it. I can't believe you're in Hyde in Kentucky. I mean, you're in Kentucky. I went, that's the oldest school uh, of midwifery in the country is in Hyde. And it's, uh, you know, CNEP, Frontier School of Midwifery and Family Nursing. How far are you from that? Really close. And ironically, they're... Um... They've been somewhat supportive, but then recently they've also done some things to kind of like undo the home birth bill. Um, like they're kind of like, well, we're OK with home birth as long as there's no multiples, no breaches, no VBACs, no moms over 35. It's like anybody who would actually. Oh, my. Um, it's frustrating. But I think you also brought up such an interesting and important point, which is 
just women taking back their power because I hear all the time women say, well, I'm not allowed to, or my doctor won't let me. And that was with my first midwife birth. I remember that was the striking difference because even in my first interview with her, I was saying, well, am I going to be allowed to do this? Will you let me do this? And she goes, honey, it's your decision. I'm here to support you. I'm not going to tell you, you can't do anything. I'm not your mom. Like you, it's your choice. She's like, I'll give you advice and tell you what the risks are on both sides, but you have to make the decision. And to contrast that with being in a hospital, like when you talked about informed consent, and that certainly should be how it is, but I've certainly seen cases in hospitals where a question was worded as a statement and women have no idea they can actually choose not to do something. Like I hear often doctors say, I'm going to do an episiotomy now. And I tell women oh. like, the doctor just asked you if you want him to do an episiotomy or not. And you can make this decision, like just reframing it to like, give it back to them. Like you get to make a choice here. Yeah. yeah, And, and, and I, and I really encourage you need to today, especially if you're going to, you know, if you're going to give birth with a midwife at home or in a, in a freestanding birth center, or there are, there are, you know, around the country, certain, certain hospitals that are very, very supportive and are mother baby friendly. And they've, you know, been Kim's, you know, the Coalition of Improved Maternal and Infant Services, you know, they've been, they have that certification, you know, so that they're, they're practicing in that way. But a lot of people do not, you know, and just, just on all of our social media, people are, you know, contacting me about, you know, this, you know, I'm hearing this like all over the place that, that, that they're not, that the doctor just does this or just does that. And they, they don't feel like they have a choice. You know, that's why I created this course and, and, and which, which just like, and I think you need to prepare today. If you are going to be going to a non, you know, a, a hospital with an obstetrician, that's not in alignment with what, you know, you want, you know, you really have to prepare and know, you know, so that you, when, when, so when you're, a person is in the situation of, I, I, I'm cutting an episiotomy or they just do it without telling you, you know, you, you're not in that situation, you know, you have you're not right at that vulnerable moment forced to think about the pros and the cons of that procedure. You know, it's, it's, I encourage everybody to look at all the different possible tests and procedures that are done through the whole process and come up with sort of a, you know, looking at the pros and cons. And, and that's what I do in my course or with the women in my practice, but, 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 um, coming up with sort of a, a plan, you know, uh, written out, I, you know, I want, this is how I want to have my pregnancy. I do not want this. I do want this. It could be like, you know, I, I'll, I'll do the, I'll do the, you know, I don't want to test my, to see if my baby has down syndrome. I don't want that test. Um, I do want, you know, these blood tests or I don't want an ultrasound. I, I, there's no, you know, there's no, reason to have an ultrasound in a healthy pregnancy, but plenty of people are having them and some people are having them every visit, which is just really crazy. But, you know, uh, but, but I just wanted people to know that they have that choice. Right. And, and, and bringing that all the way into the birth, you know, from, from, do they want to wear, it could be from as, as, men, as, um, you know, what we think might be just very, um, innocuous, which was, do you want, you know, do you want the lights dim or light bright? Do you want to wear your own clothes? Do you want to wear the hospital gowns? Do you want to be able to eat and drink and move around freely? Or do you want to, you know, be in the bed, you know, ha um, all the way down to, yeah. Do you, do you want to have a, a scissor a cut of a, a surgical incision to cut an episiotomy? Or do you want to let yourself birth without that? You know, do you want the baby to be suctioned? Do you want the baby put in a bassinet, taken to the nursery? You know, so, so do you want the baby be given a hepatitis B vaccine? I mean, there's, you know, the, these are going to be happening you know, w without you, without the woman knowing it necessarily, without the family knowing it. So, 
with with this information, you can at least make, you know, everybody's reasonable. Most people are reasonable. Like they say, you know, even if somebody wants to have a natural experience, you know, they, they'll agree to, to, to medical intervention if, if absolutely necessary, you know, but but not to be done routinely. You know, mo- most people, if they're given a choice, will, will not want all these things done to the, to them and their baby. Yeah. Exactly. And I think at least from the births I've seen, and you've seen many, many, many times the number I have, but that seems to be the key is no matter what happens, not just, I mean, the outcome of the birth, but even just how the labor goes, the woman actually getting to make those decisions and actually having informed consent seems to be, from what I've seen, the biggest indicator of her being happy with the birth experience. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, yes. I've had women that they did have a certain, uh, let's say a woman who does have a certain complication and she did everything that, that, that she could to have her, her birth plan, right? I mean, every, most births don't go as planned, but, but sometimes the plan deviates a little bit. Like, let's say they want the kids at the birth and then the kids are sleeping and don't want to be at the birth. I mean, it could be something as she wants a water birth, but when it's time for pushing, she's pushing on a squatting rope in the closet, you know, that we're hanging from a, for the pole. And, and it's, you know, she's like, you know, you know pushing and I'm like, do you want to go in the water? You wanted a water birth so badly. Like that was such a huge part of your plan. And she's like, no, you know, she's pushing. And, you know, so so it could be like deviating like that, or it could be, you know, we need um, the compassionate use of an epidural because a mom's been up five nights in a row and, and the baby's in a certain position. And no matter what we do, we can't turn the baby. And, you know, we've tried everything A to Z and, and she has her epidural and then she gives birth vaginally, you know, um, like I encourage everyone to just embrace, um, you know, make that plan. But at least then, you know, when it's time, like, you know, to, to make that decision, like, so with this woman, okay, you've been in labor, um, you know, 40 hours, you've been up five nights in a row, you know, you're still at a certain point in your labor and it's not progressing. And you're, and you know, we, we've talked about this over and over again. These are the options. What do you want to do? So she might say, you know, if everybody's good, like mom's healthy, baby's healthy, she might say, I want to try another hour. I want to try another two hours or I want to do this or I want to do that. But at the, at the end, I said, what do you want to do? We could do this. We could do that. It, it, you know, she is the one that says, you know what? I want an epidural now. You know, that's her decision. Like when we're not dealing with an emergency and a lot of, you know, most of the time we're not right. If, if, if there's really excellent care, there's time to make these, these decisions. And I think even, even in a, in a situation, you know, my cesarean section rate is 5%, but those, those 5% are still human beings and that's a birth and that's a celebration. Um, unless there was some emergency going on, that was that's a decision that a woman feels that she can make, and that's what's needed, and that we can still keep the family, you know, who's ever supporting her involved. She can still, you know, the gentle cesarean. She can still catch her baby, bond with her baby right away, have skin to skin, you know, and nurse right away, and and delayed cord clamping, all this kind of stuff. You know, even in a time where she has absolutely pretty much no control, right? We, we can encourage her to have as much as she can. And then she'll, a lot of times will be much happier with her experience, even though interventions were necessary. Yeah. She'll, you know, any, anyone that needs intervention and the, you know, for complications is definitely going to need a bit more healing, um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you know, psychologically, but, um, much, much less you know, much, much less than, than, than just we're doing this and people just doing this, uh, these, um, things to you, to the person and, and as if they have no choice. 
Yeah, I think that's so key. Even when a birth doesn't go as planned, that doesn't necessarily make it an emergency. And I think you're right, like understanding what's going on and just having the ability to choose as you go, not only improves the birth experience, and I think it actually makes it statistically more likely for a woman to have a more natural birth experience because she knows what's going on, there's less fear, but um, it also just takes back the power over that. This episode is sponsored by Four Sigmatic. You've heard me talk about Four Sigmatic before because I love their coffees, teas, and hot chocolates. Now you can get 15% off any order with the code wellnessmama. But these are not ordinary drinks. They're delicious combinations of coffee, cocoa, and adaptogenic herbs, now with the benefits of chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane for an extra brain boost and clean energy. My longtime favorite is their instant coffee with the benefits of these mushrooms, but lately I've also really been enjoying their caffeine-free blends. Try out all of these delicious drinks at foursigmatic.com forward slash wellnessmama. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash wellnessmama. And make sure to use the code wellnessmama to get 15% off your order. This podcast is also brought to you by ButcherBox. And if you haven't heard of them, they're a great company that ships really high quality meats to your door. They carry 100% grass-fed beef, organic and pastured chicken, and heritage breed pork, and they deliver it directly to your door. All of their products are humanely raised and free of antibiotics and hormones. And as a Wellness Mama listener, you can get $15 off plus free bacon in your first box. Go to butcherbox.com forward slash wellnessmama and use the promo code, all capital letters, healthy moms. I'd love to kind of go in a little bit of a tangent here because I've had two home births and they were technically considered both breech feedbacks that would have been absolutely automatic C-sections anywhere within 500 miles of me at a hospital. And when I say that, um, and or I've written about it on the blog, the most common reaction literally is like shock and horror, um, basically with the assumption that a home birth is so much more dangerous than a hospital birth and how could I possibly risk my life like that. And I, especially where I live, like I said, we're trying to make home birth an option for women, but I'd love to hear you speak to this. Is that actually true? Is home birth inherently dangerous as people assume? I know a lot of women are hesitant to birth at home because either they or their partners are really scared of the outcome. So can you just speak to that as far as your own experience and even the statistics? In my own experience, um, the worst births and outcomes I ever saw actually were in a hospital setting. So there is a lot of research backing the safety of of home birth around the world, you know, um, with trained midwives. You know, not not there's the, the the research is not necessarily good for unattended home births, right? But 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 if if, if a woman is attended by a trained, experienced midwife or or obstetrician, I know obstetricians like Michelle O'Don who does home birth, the outcomes are very good. So much so that the British, you know, like the, um, the, the, health regular, the health regulator in the United Kingdom, uh, NICES, the National Institute of Healthcare and Excellence, I think that stands for, they came out with um, urging out-of-hospital birth for low-risk healthy women. And that is either home birth or midwife-led birthing centers, freestanding birth centers. This is this is the healthcare regulate. Like they have they have the authority in great in, in um, uh, the United Kingdom, like the NI, like the CDC, for example, here or the NIH, right? Mayo Clinic, you know, big health regulator that based on the evidence that women who healthy women who are attended by a midwife, the outcomes for mom and baby are at least as good, if not better, 
than 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 if they would be going into a hospital. Yeah, I think that's important even just to understand that for women, because it, it does seem because the perception in our society is so different, I think, here, um, it seems more scary if you don't really understand those statistics and understand, like, for one, how well-trained most midwives can be and how there is such a difference, obviously, between an unplanned home birth or an accidental home birth that wasn't supposed to be and having a midwife there who knows what they're doing and is very well-trained in everything but cesareans. Because at least from what I've seen and dueling both kinds of births, um, I mean, midwives are not only so in tune with the mom and what she's experiencing in birth, but they're extremely highly trained and they know what they're doing and they can manage. Like I, in one week I saw at two different births, I saw a midwife manage a shoulder dystocia and a doctor manage a shoulder dystocia and the level of like both babies were completely fine, but the difference in the, like the fear in the hospital setting versus the midwife just calmly telling the mom like, Hey, let's turn over and get on your hands and knees. And I need you to just move like this for a minute baby was totally fine. And the mom never freaked out and was never afraid. Um, whereas in the hospital, like you literally would have thought they were both dying for a second there. And so just seeing that, that like the beauty of trusting women and trusting their bodies in birth is so amazing. Yeah. There's a calm there's, you know, I've, I've, I've attended women, you know, giving birth, laughing, singing, dancing, you know, even like, like kind of tapping into their sensual or their primal selves. I mean, it's, it's in, and, and really being in ecstasy with their experience. Now I'm not saying it's not hard, you know, it's, 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 you know, sometimes women can be challenged to the max. It's the healthiest, hardest thing that a woman, you know, may, might ever do. But, but when they do it, there's, there's the, that, you know, that's why I love that movie organic birth. It was called orgasmic birth. Um, but it's this, same movie that when women and families are supported in this way, sort of this model of care, that it's not just about having a healthy, you know, breathing mother and baby with a heartbeat. It, it, it's that, that, that there is this um, tremendous empowerment, this elation, this high that, 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 that's almost like orgasmic. Women want to scream from the rooftops like, I did this, you know, or, 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 you know, it's just transformative. You know, anyone in that room, the father, you know, anyone in that room just, you know, brought to tears of the beauty. I mean, it's, it's like almost like the last, well, unless you're living on a farm or near nature or gardening, it's almost like the last uh, in the modern world connection we have to, to real life, like, like as, as, as deep and as real as it gets, you know, um, in terms of baby outcome, there are some studies that, that, that do say that, that, uh, that do say there is a slight increase risk in, in newborn, um, mortality risk, but it's very low. It's like 10 per 10,000 babies born at home. And that has to do with like, uh, an extra transport time, let's say from the hospital or, um, so, and especially like if there's, if there are complications, right? So, so one of the things that midwives do is, you know, we screen, you know, we're not, I'm not going to attend the home birth of somebody who has very, you know, uh, serious preeclampsia or, or is on insulin or has a seizure disorder. You know, there are certain situations where it's more appropriate, it's safer for that mom to, ha you know, give birth in the hospital or for that, you know, Let's say if a baby has congenital heart disease, for example, um, that was detected on, on careful ultrasound, that baby needs to be born where they can handle, you know, that baby and, you know, intensive care is needed, you know, but, but the vast majority of people are healthy and, 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 and uh, the outcomes are excellent, you know? Absolutely, for sure. And um, so close friends of ours have a saying that they 
use in their family that we've adopted and that now I find myself using with um, doula clients, which is that you were made to do hard things. And yes, birth can be difficult and it's hard work, but it's also amazing and beautiful. And just like everything else in life, the things that you have to work the hardest for are the ones that you feel the most amazing about after. And I think that's such an important lesson to like teach our kids in all aspects of life, but how cool to get to start their life that way, you know, like to start from the beginning, teaching them like you were made to do hard things and your mom did hard things to get you here. And it was awesome. And, and, you know, and it's, and you know why it's awesome also is because like, like almost the modern technology world, the modern world, everything's easy. You push a button, you get your dishes washed, you know, you push a button, your clothes are washed and dried, you know, everything's push a button and this happens. And it's almost like, when are we really ever so tested, you know, and, and women really, a lot of times when they come into, to, in the beginning, let's say to me, if, if they haven't had a, you know, if it's their first baby or it's their first experience of a natural is they doubt their strength. And I am amazed like how every woman finds her strength to do what she needs to do. She, she just finds her strength. And it's, you know, women are strong and they, they're stronger than they know. We are stronger than we realize. Yeah, uh, so much so. And I'd love to kind of go back full circle and tie back into where we started um, and to even ask you to be a little vulnerable and go deep for a minute, because I have several close friends who have really struggled with postpartum issues, whether it's actual full postpartum depression or just anxiety or illness related to that postpartum period. And I believe you have some experience with this as well. Um, and so to circle back to the healthy baby being obviously the most important thing, but not the only thing, the mom matters so much too. So can you tell your story of that postpartum experience and any advice that you have for moms, both before, during, and after a birth to kind of help heal if there's been a traumatic situation? Yeah. So, so this is what I go through with every woman in my practice and, you know, with, you know, in my course is, is I help women in the pregnancy prepare for postpartum. It's like the forgotten fourth trimester of pregnancy, you know, in hospitals, women are just sent home in two days and after a vaginal delivery and five days or four days after a major abdominal surgery, when most other surgeries are done microscopically, you know, uh, cesarean is still major abdominal surgery. They're just sent home in four days and like you're on your own. And, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a time throughout history, um, and around the world where we used to live in, in communities and like tribes or communal settings where that woman who just gave birth was like a goddess. She was left to heal and rest and breastfeed. And all the women in the community took care of everything else, like child, uh, child care of the other children, um, her work responsibilities, if she was working outside the home, you know, uh, errands, you know, cooking, cleaning, all of that. So that, you know, in the first four, you know, few months, you know, that woman was so surrounded by this circle of love and support that, that she was, you know, nurtured psychologically, takes a village to raise not just a baby, but new parents. But, um, you know, she could also physically heal. And today, in, in our country and parts of the modern world, you know, families are just spread apart so much and women are alone. They're, they're not living in community. Um, and even if they are, there might be, there might be the, 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 her mom and sister and all the women in her family might be working or might 
um, create tension for her. They're not, let's say, getting along or something like that. So, so um, a lot of times women are alone. So I work with women in the in the pregnancy, you know, in, in my practice and in my course on how to mobilize support for all of the duties that she does because I want them off her plate. You know, and, and my experience, so, so you're asking what, um, I became very passionate about postpartum because I had my own postpartum illness, you know, so, so always a lot of times when we have our own, you know, I know pain, I know what it's like, you know, like when I, when I had my own postpartum illness, I, you know, and I healed, um, from it and holistically, like I, I, I became, I, you know, like, I feel like I, not only do I know what it's like to feel that way. But I also know what it's like to heal and, and um, using all the different modalities to help women heal. So I've, I've kind of, you know, that's been one of my areas of, you know, passions and expertise is to help women postpartum because it's not talked about or addressed as as much as we need it to be. Yeah, I was gonna say, I absolutely agree with you. I think that that that's one of the things that hopefully people like you working and moms like understanding and making the difference that these will be the things that over time can change the birth outcomes in our country, but also just the the experience women have. Cause I think that over time is going to be so healing of the culture and of birth in general. And I think I love that you're doing so much work to do that. Yeah. A lot of it, like, you know, there are certain risk factors, right. That, that create, you know, sort of uh, increase the risk of this woman is, you know, gonna, you know, might end up with some issues postpartum if 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 she had a traumatic or highly interventive, you know, birth experience or a birth experience where where she wasn't honored, right? She the things were done against her will um, or forced upon her, you know, that 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 can certainly increase the risk um, if she has no support around her postpartum you know, a single mom, or, or even if the mom has a partner, but the partner has to go right back to work, we don't have paternity leave in this country, you know, and, 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 and let's say she can't afford to hire help and, and her family spread apart, you know, so that's why I really like to help women prenatally to, to prevent it. But it's, it's real, you know, it incur- it's about 10% of the population or, or suffer from what is called postpartum depression. So it's really, that is like depression, any symptoms of depression or anxiety that occur within the first year after birth. And that's not the same thing as what they call postpartum blues. I don't like the word postpartum blues because a lot of times women aren't blue. It's like that first two weeks postpartum where you got a combination of lack of sleep. You just gave birth, which is huge. And, you know, the hormone change, you know, the placenta made all these hormones that were just nurturing the pregnancy. And so when the placenta is is delivered, like there's a huge drop in hormones and it's like in a total exaggerated sort of PMS feeling, you know, um, if people feel PMS from the fluctuations in the hormones in their cycles, they're certainly going to have, uh, you know, feelings, uh, emotional reactions related to the drop in the hormones when the placenta is born. And then, and then the baby's, you know, nursing every few hours or needs to eat every few hours, doesn't always go back to sleep. So maybe they're getting four hours in a 24-hour period. So, and then, you know, having a baby is a huge adjustment. It's up there with, you know, getting married and, you know, major life changes kind of thing. So, so all these things, um, even in the most well-supported situation, you know, a woman could just, you know, have mood swings or, you know, crying and she doesn't know why she's crying. She's so happy, you know, this kind of thing. Or you know, partner comes in and I made you eggs, honey. And she's like, but I wanted waffles, you know? So, so this is just sort of, it was like this, um, you know, kind of normal extra heightened sensitivity, overtired, overwhelmed. And, you know, I say every day, have a good hug, 
a good laugh and a good cry. And it doesn't have to be in that order. A good cry, a good, la- good hug and a good laugh. But really need to sleep, like sleep when the baby sleeps. That's that's the most important thing. Like everybody comes today with, vis- you know, all these visitors want to give gifts to the baby. What they really need, what mom really need is food, meals for, uh, you know, a week. You know, the baby doesn't need very much. You know, she needs to rest. So she might need a cleaning lady, someone to clean the house or someone to take care, you know, babysit the other kids. You know, those are the kind of things, the best baby gifts that should be on all registries, right? Yeah, but 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 if if that starts to spiral down, right? And 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 you know, I, I I go over with everybody the symptoms of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, or or worse. There are so many things that can be done. You know, there are so many things that can be done, and it, it's so important that a woman knows that she can reach out for help. That it's not to be ashamed of. This is real, and 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 if you don't reach out for help, usually it gets worse. So it's better. There's, there's so much just to 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 bring it up with someone who can help you. There are so many things that can be done. Yeah, such good advice. And as we get near the end of our time, I just want to have you make sure you tell people where they can find you online. And of course, those links will be in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm. But let people know where they can find you. And if you have any parting words for moms, especially maybe a pregnant mom who's listening, what just any parting advice you want to share? So, um, where you can find me if you're on Instagram is a uh, home sweet home birth, home sweet home birth. And also on uh, Facebook, it's home sweet home birth. Um, my website is home sweet home birth.com. And, um, maybe your listeners would benefit from, I have this download. It's a, it's like an ebook that has over the years I've collected like a hundred, I think it's 154 of my favorite resources for women. For women, for pre-pregnancy, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, siblings, partners, you know, um, inspiration, also like supplies, where to get them, supplies for if you do have a yoga or meditation practice, supplies to bring the to the for your birth. So, so to kind of create that home sweet home birth kind of feel, whether you're in the home in a birth center or in a hospital, you know, there are things that you you can actually like move in. <laughs> you know, move in wherever you're going, uh, and and create that uh, a place where you you can incorporate all, um, you know, uh, anything that inspires you. What you what you listen to, music that inspires you. Uh, what you know, what you smell, what you eat. All the you know, using all the five senses to bring into your into your birth environment. So that's homesweethomebirth.com forward slash slash gift g i f t. And, um, yeah, what was your last question? What I would like? Yeah. Just any parting words of wisdom for moms or pregnant mamas or someone who maybe has had a difficult birth experience. Oh, well, those are two different things. You know, those are two different things. Um, if if anyone has had a difficult birth experience, my gosh, reach out to your, to your, to me (laughs) or to your local midwife, you know, like I I do online consulting. That's that's actually, the most common reason, and people ask me all over Instagram, you know, how I have, I had a really traumatic birth. At least a third of people experience a traumatic birth. And uh, that's a lot. That's a lot of people, you know, or, you know, I had a really traumatic birth. What can I do? I can't answer. I can't answer that on social media, but that kind of birth, this online, you know, sort of global consulting, which has been really amazing to reach women and help women around the world. But in terms of, so you don't have to sit in your suffering. There are so many things that can be done, but it's, you know, like, um, not just on one foot that or one minute that I could, that I could say that to everybody because everybody's unique in what they need and what they're suffering with. But in terms of women who are pregnant, 
I just want you to, as much as possible, get like, know that your body knows how to grow and birth and breastfeed a baby and your baby knows how to be born and you have the strength in you. Um, even when in, in the heat of things, when you think you don't, you still do have the strength within you to do it. And, um, it's what, what's, what's amazing is, is that, um, as you're giving birth about 300,000 women around the world are giving birth and billions of women have given birth before you and it works. It is the most brilliant process that is more wise than any human being. And that, um, to, to, to really trust it. And, and if that means we need to get out of our, our we kind of have to get our brains out of the way, you know, whether that's in, you know, dancing or journaling or doing yoga and meditation or, or whatever we need to do, tapping into our, the more of our right brain, our intuitive instinctual self, um, and trusting that our bodies know how, know how to do it. And just, I want to tell you, so in, in 20 years of home birth midwifery practice, I have not once, now I'm not even one time, have I had to transfer a woman to the hospital because she could not take the sensations. I don't like to use the word pain, but, but um, she could not you know, take the sensations of normal labor. I have not once had to transfer a woman to the hospital to get an epidural. That's a lot of women who were giving birth naturally. And, you know, it's, it's so possible for you to do it, even if, you know, you, you, you think you can't, you know, you can, and with, with the right support and the right, you know, the, the kind of care that's, that encourages you to move around freely and eat and drink and trusting and encouraging, you know, letting the process unfold as, as it, as it, as it does. And, and I'm amazed and awe and in awe every time I, I witness this. You know, and, and the more I practice, the more I realize how little we need to do, <laughs> how little we need to do that, that it just works. Michelle O'Donnell, he's the obstetrician, the obstetrician from France who does it, who, who speaks all over. He was speaking in the business of being born and he spoke in orgasmic birth, that documentary. Um, he says, what, what do you think is the best? I heard him at a conference. What do you think is the best intervention that a, that a midwife can do at a birth? And it was a room filled of hundreds of midwives and everyone was getting it wrong. What would you think it is that he said? That what's the best intervention that a midwife can do at a birth? Nothing. Just stand back. Right. Well, well, uh, uh, yeah, that's kind of. He says to knit <laughs> in his French accent. To knit, to knit. And why? Because we have a very calm presence of a woman, of a midwife. Her eyes are wide open. Her heart is wide open. Her ears are open. Her mouth can talk, but her hands are occupied <laughs> with, with knitting, which, which kind of like a woman who was birthing and is seeing kind of this wise midwife who's been thousands of births attended, you know, thousands of births and everything's just going fine. She's calm. She's knitting, you know, she's talking to the mom. She's encouraging the mom, but it keeps the hands occupied. So she doesn't have to be busy with something else like interfering. Right. And of course, yes, if something needs to be done, she'll put the knitting down and she'll deal with it. But I, I think it's amazing to hear this from an obstetrician, that the best thing that an attendant can do at a birth is to knit. And what a calm, yeah, what a wonderful message to send to the mom. Like everything is perfectly wonderful and happening and I'm so calm that I'm knitting. That would be so encouraging. I'm so calm that I'm knitting. What color would you like your baby's hat to be? <laughs> 
That's wonderful. I love that. Yeah. I think that's, that's the beauty of midwives. And I appreciate so much the work that you do. And, and so many other midwives that I love is just reminding women that we were made to do this and our bodies know what we're doing. And yes, there's a certainly a time and a place for interventions that save lives, but the majority of the time, like your body knows what it's doing and you have the power to do it. And I love that that's your message to share and I'll make sure it's linked in the show notes, but thank you so much for your time. I love, I love the message that you have for women. Aw, thank you, Katie. It was wonderful to be here. And thanks to all of you for listening. I'll see you next time on the Healthy Moms Podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time, and thanks as always for listening.